So good morning, my name is Andy Newberry and I'm excited that you're here this morning. And today uh, we're gonna be looking at this question and it's this, have you ever been in a season of life where you found yourself asking the question, where do I go from here? You see, much of my early to mid 20s was consumed with this very question, God, where do I go from here? Because originally, my life plan was to pursue a career in law and then politics. Since I was five years old, my whole identity was wrapped up in being this super ambitious nerd with the dream of becoming a lawyer. But all of that began to change when I started to grow in my faith during college. And so there I was, midway through my senior year of college, grappling with this question of what am I going to do, and really came down to this. Do I continue to pursue law, or do I allow that dream to die? And one day, while praying in the quiet space of an empty room, I felt a clear call from God to let go of that dream of law, and instead to pursue some type of ministry, though at the time I didn't quite know what that was going to be. And so after graduating college, I stepped out into a very uncertain future, not knowing what I was going to do, and I ended up working a few different part-time jobs, I did some campus ministry, and then I started seminary. By my mid-20s, I was working part-time as a academic tutor, full-time as a ballroom dance instructor, and was trying to finish seminary. But at the same time I'm doing all of this, I had also moved into a period of deep depression. And during that time, I struggled. You know, I struggled just to function, just to show up to class and to work. I felt deeply alone. And I felt like what I did just didn't matter. And some of you may have also gone through seasons like this, seasons where you found yourself asking, where do I go from here? Because a lot of us have gone through that experience of feeling despair when we realize we just can't find ourselves. But the source of that despair may go even deeper because we might realize that not only have we failed to find ourselves, we've actually failed to live out the childhood expectation of whom we thought we would become. Essentially, it's that moment we realize, I have lost the me I thought I would be. And maybe some of you have felt that, where you felt, I have lost the me I thought I would be. And so now you're asking yourself the question, so where do I go from here? Well, if that's you, then listen. Jesus Christ has a wonderful word for you. In his, one of his most famous stories, the one that we know as the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus casts this beautiful vision of just where we can go from here. But before we get into the story of the, the prodigal found in Luke 15, it would help if we knew a few things, um, two things in particular. Um, first, what does the word prodigal actually mean? And second, what's the story behind this story? So in the spirit of my work as an SAT tutor, today, today only, I have a one-word pop vocabulary quiz for you. So get out your number twos, and here we go. Does prodigal mean lost, 
ungrateful, wasteful, lavish. It's like, think about this, like mentally pick an answer, commit to it. All right, let's see how you did. How many people are surprised? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think for a lot of us growing up in a church background, the prodigal son story is so familiar and so associated with stories of lostness that we assume, oh, prodigal, that, that probably means lost. It turns out, actually, no, prodigal doesn't mean lost, it doesn't mean ungrateful, but it can mean wasteful and it can mean lavish. Essentially, the word prodigal can mean giving so wasteful, I'm sorry, giving so lavishly that it seems wasteful. So as we talk about the story of the prodigal son, please keep this definition in mind. Because prodigal, it means extravagant giving, abundant giving, lavish giving, giving so lavish that it appears wasteful. And now in addition to just knowing what prodigal means, it helps if we know the story behind the story. So what is the story behind the story? Well, to the Jewish audience in first century times when Jesus is talking to them, these people had a rich history, and they were well aware of their history. So for a long time, for hundreds of years, they lived in what was known as the Promised Land. But then they end up around 600 BC, a little after that, they get sent off into exile, into Babylon, which was a far off country, far from home. And for about 70 years, they remained in exile. But after that, they begin to return home. And some of those Jewish sons and daughters returned home, but when they did, they still didn't feel like they were really home. They weren't welcomed by the handful of Jewish people that stayed in the land. Their land also had been controlled by outside countries. They felt like they were still living in exile. Because in their old days, in their glory days, they lived in abundance and prosperity. But now, now they were living in scarcity, afraid of losing even the little that they had. And so for a long time, while they're still living in that land, they had to live in anticipation, in hope, specifically in the hope that one day God would come and would set things right so that they could finally live in the abundance that they thought they would have, and they thought that one day would be a time to celebrate. And so as Jesus is celebrating with these unfaithful sinners and tax collectors, the, uh, the Jewish people who are listening to him, they, they couldn't take it um, because Jesus knew that God sent them into exile because they had rejected God. If Israel had meant to be in a familial relationship with God, then Israel ruined and wasted that relationship by being unfaithful. And so now as the Jewish people lived in that land of Judea, a homeland that felt more like a wasteland, they were waiting for that one day that God would set things right. And so, as these Jewish leaders see Jesus, they get frustrated with them. They're like, Jesus, you can't do this. You're doing this all wrong. And so from their perspective, he is. He's not supposed to hang out with unfaithful people. But to challenge their perspective, Jesus tells them this story. It begins in, in Luke chapter 15. We'll have it up on the screen, but feel free to read in your 
in a Bible and a phone app or whatever you have. But here's the story. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has gotten him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And then his father said to him, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. So let's reflect for a bit on this prodigal story and see what it has to say about where we can go from here. The story begins with the younger son making a request to his dad. And to be honest, today, in 2020 Monmouth County, this request might not sound so unreasonable to us. But back then, in that time, in that culture, this kind of a request would be unthinkable. Because here's what the son's saying. The son's saying, Dad, I'm looking around. I see all this stuff that you have. I see your real estate. I see this family property. I see this family business. And it's worth a lot of money. And when you die, I'm going to get a share of that money. Dad, I want my share of that money right now. The biblical scholar N.T. Wright says this is essentially what the son is saying. The son is saying to his dad, 
I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I could finally live my life the way that I want to. I mean, imagine that you're this father hearing such cold, callous words from a son that you love. How would you respond? Well, let's see how the father responds. He, he responds by granting his son's wish. He divides the property between them. But in that moment, in that moment, their relationship was over. I mean, there is no taking back those words or the feelings that fueled them. In that moment, the relationship between the father and his son died. And so then what happens? Well, after the father grants his son's request, what does the son do? Well, he gathers up all of his newfound wealth. You see, up to this point, this younger son had spent his whole life living in his father's wealth, in his father's abundance. Yet despite seeing all this abundance, this son lived in the fear of scarcity. You see, there are two very different mindsets that we can have concerning our resources. One of them could be considered a scarcity mindset, and the other could be considered an abundance mindset. The author Stephen Covey puts it this way, the scarcity mindset sees life as having only so much, as though there were only one pie out there. And if someone were to get a big piece of the pie, it would mean less for everyone else. The abundance mindset, on the other hand, flows out of a deep sense of personal worth and security. It is the paradigm that there is plenty out there and enough to spare for everybody. So this son gathers up all that he has, displaying this scarcity mindset that he has, and he leaves home. And then what? Well, where does he go from there? Well, he travels to a distant country. In casting this picture, in telling this story, Jesus uses the language of exile. He describes a Jewish son who leaves home to a far-off country. He leaves the land, he leaves his father, and he goes off to make a new life for himself. He sets off in a self-created exile. Well, how does that exile work out for him? Well, we see this is what happens. He ends up squandering his property in dissolute living. He spent everything. These are the phrases that cause this story to be known as the prodigal son story. Uh, he is very prodigal with what he has. He gives away all he has to a people who don't care about him. And it's a bit ironic, isn't it? It's ironic that this guy who had been so consumed with scarcity, so consumed with trying to get everything he could while he could, the moment he leaves home, he starts spending his money so lavishly to the point that it seems wasteful. And now for the first time in this guy's life, he experiences financial scarcity. He's broke, he doesn't have food, he ends up getting a job, and not just any job, I mean, it is a lowly job. He goes out to feed pigs, and he's jealous of the pigs. So for a young Jewish man to be, who grew up in a kosher family, being broke far from home and feeding pigs, 
This is what rock bottom looks like. And so then what happens? Where does he go from here? Well, the first place he goes from here is he comes to himself. In hitting rock bottom, he comes to his senses. And to be honest, for any of us who've ever had a moment of hitting rock bottom, sometimes we know that's the only way we're going to come to our senses. And for this young man, that's what happens. While he's living in his self-imposed exile, he finally realizes the abundance of his father and the scarcity of trying to live life his own way on his own terms. And so in coming to himself, he makes a decision. He sets off again, this time to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him. There is so much hiding behind this one line. While he was still far off, his father saw him. I mean, I imagine the father standing there on the edge of the property, looking off into the distance, scanning the horizon in the hope that one day his son would return. And I imagine that as he's out there standing day after day, people would come up to him and say, look, don't waste your time. That waste of a son of yours, he's not coming back. Let it go. And for that father, he could have felt like every minute standing there looking off into the horizon waiting for his son, he could have felt like that was a waste of time. Every day that he spent teaching his son, sharing his life with his son, showing his son the family business, pouring out love on the son, every year of doing that could have felt like a waste for this father. He spent his whole life pouring out love on someone who didn't love him back. But this father, he lived in abundance. For this father, he had more than enough love to spare, and those moments weren't wasted moments. And in fact, in this moment, they all become redeemed. This father has so much lavish love that he could have poured out a thousand lifetimes of love for his son, and he was ready to do it for a thousand and a first. This is prodigal love. Because in the truest sense, this is a picture of a prodigal father, someone willing to pour out so much love that it looks like a waste. But listen, in the way of God, no act of love is ever truly a waste. And so then, what happens? Well, at the beginning of the story, when the father hears that his son wants to go, the father knows that the most loving thing he can do is to let him go. But for any of us who have experienced something like that, for any of us who have experienced the pain of letting someone go, we wonder, how can we lovingly let go of someone that we care about? The only way that I know of is to move into the hope of resurrection. We all know that letting go can be incredibly painful. Yet in letting go, in moving through the death of a relationship, the death of a dream, we can actually move into 
new hope, into new life, into new love, into the hope of resurrection. Because the father let go of the son who chose to leave him, he was free to welcome home the son who chose to return. And in this story, notice, the father is not naive. I mean, he knows what his son said. He knows that their relationship had died. He describes his son, this son of mine was dead. Like his son, he knew his son was dead to me. And to the son, the father was dead to him. And in using this sort of language of death and being alive again, of death and resurrection, he is using the language of new life and of a return from exile. Because when Jesus tells a story of a lost child who goes off into exile in a faraway land, who is then welcomed back with a lavish party, this would have been heard by first century Jews as that one day that they had been hoping for, the one day that Israel had been longing for to celebrate. So then, where does he go from here? Where do we go from here? Well, when he says, my son was dead and is alive again, what he's saying is, his exile is over. And all of those wasted minutes, days, and years have now been redeemed. And because of that, this day, today, is a good day to celebrate. Because if the one day that you have been longing for finally happens, that is cause for celebration. And so Jesus celebrates with the unfaithful sinners and tax collectors, and it is a wonderful time. But so what do we do? Where do we go from here? It's this. By faith, we can move into the hope of love. That's where we go from here. By faith, we move into the hope of love. But just like the Jewish crowd not happy with Jesus who was hanging out with unfaithful people, in the story, not everyone was happy that this son would come home. Not everyone was ready to move into the hope of new love. Not everyone saw this as a good day. You see, the older son, he won't come in. So what does the father do? The father comes out. I think this too is beautiful because just as the father was so willing to go out to meet the younger son on the road, so too the father is willing to come out to meet his older son when he feels hurt. Because the older father also had eyes for that son. The father had eyes for his older son and he was able to see his son's frustration and he gives him the freedom to vent his concerns. The older son felt like all of his years of hard work were a waste. He basically says, so many years, I've been just a slave to you, not a son. And all of these years, I've never neglected the, your rules. Yet all of these years, you have never noticed me. You have never cared for me. In this monologue to his dad, the older son reveals that he too has a scarcity mindset. That while he had been living in the abundance of his father, he just didn't have eyes to see it. And he was afraid that he wouldn't be able to get his. And so in response to this, the father speaks tender words to him to help his son see. He says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. 
Even the word for son in this passage, it's different than the word son used in the rest of the story. It's actually a more tender word of affection. It's like the father saying, my sweet boy, I love you. And everything that you see, it's yours. It's always been yours. I just want you to have the eyes to see it. This is the abundance that is available to you. And so, how does then this story end? Well, it, it's interesting. Jesus, at the end of the story, leaves us hanging. Because we're, we're wondering, like, okay, where does the older brother go from here? Does he go in the house? Does he stay outside? And that's actually the way most parables work. In the end of most parables, you're supposed to actually have been able to see yourself in the story, and you are supposed to fill in the ending. Essentially, Jesus is asking his audience, so where will you go from here? Because the whole reason that the Jewish people had been sent off into exile is because their relationship with God had been broken by them. In fact, their rejection of God was essentially telling God, God, we wish you were dead. We wish you were dead so that we could live our lives the way we want. In fact, the whole story of the Bible tells humanity's struggle in their relationship with God, and in fact, humanity's saying to God, God, I don't want to believe in you. I don't accept you. God, I wish you were dead. God, I wish you were dead so that I could live life the way that I want. And how does God respond to that desire of the human heart to reject him, to wish he were dead? God grants us our request. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes to be with his people. And he hears his own people say to him, crucify, crucify. And in an act of unbelievable prodigal love, he pours out love for a people who don't love him back. He allows himself to die for people who seem to waste his love. But listen, in the way of Jesus, his act of love is never truly wasted. This is the love of a prodigal father through his prodigal son. So then the question is for you, where do you go from here? For some of us, for some of you, maybe you've been feeling far from God. Maybe that's because you've made some conscious decision to walk away from God. And maybe some of you, maybe some of you have felt like you've always been around the family of God, but for you, you just haven't felt close to God himself. And maybe right now, you're thinking there's some thing that you need to let die, to let go of, in order to feel free to come back to Jesus. If that's you, then please listen to this. It is Jesus' death for you that enables you to come to him. But maybe for some of us, there is something that we need to let go of or to let die. And maybe for some of us, that thing we need to let go of is this childhood understanding of God that we formed. And maybe we need to let go of that childhood understanding of God so that we can form now an adult understanding of God 
so that we can have an adult relationship with him. And maybe now for some of you experiencing a season of loss, a season of letting go, a season of death, what is it for you? Like, what does moving forward into hope look like? Well, it looks like this. In this life, right now, we can still have hope. Because the scriptures say that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, so in this life, we have hope. Jesus didn't just die for us, he also rose again. So by faith, we can move into the hope of new love, of new life. We can move into the hope of resurrection. But in order to do that, that also means that we move through death. And that's hard, and we know that. And so we put to rest that which has died. We make room for the grief that death brings. But that doesn't mean we don't have permission to still move into the hope of new life. So where will you go from here? Well, where you go may not yet be clear, but to whom you go is. We go towards the Father in his lavish love. And where do we here at Park Church go from here? In my own season of letting go and losing the me I thought I would be, do you know what moving into hope looked like for me? It looked like you. It looked like all of you. Because it was through this church that I was able to find who I was really meant to be. I ended up finding the people who helped start this church, and since then, you all have welcomed me and given me the freedom to grow into the person that God is making me to be. And so much of that is because God has profoundly and distinctly made Park Church to be a place of welcome, a place where lost people can feel like they can come home, a people who have been living in a wasteland can feel welcomed. And as we continue to welcome the stranger, the unfaithful, and the faithful alike, then we make this a place of lavish abundance, a place that is a beacon of lavish love for the world. And so for me, while I may have let go of the me I thought I would be, I am so excited that together, with what God is doing here through the lavish love of the Father, we can be the we that he is making us to be. So let's pray. Father, how great is the love that you have lavished on us that we could be called children of God. And that is what we are. God, please now give us the eyes to see the abundance that you have given us. Please enable those who feel far from you to feel welcome to come home. Please welcome us in our lost, wasted places. Thank you for your lavish love. This is lavish love, that you, God, would call us your child. No longer let us be lost, but let us be found by your lavish love. Christ, we pray this in your name. Amen.